0: right there. Hey, everybody. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. Uh, as Chad pointed out, this Faith Fuel thing is something we're very excited about. And uh, in case you did not get a card, you can always grab one from the info table, and then each month there'll be a different uh, kid spotlighted in the card that you can learn more about, pray for, get to know a little better, feel more a part of the Faith Fuel family with access to success. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here in our church. We are so glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. And the round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. Today we continue in our Lenten series called Running on Empty. We are looking at some of the places where Jesus met people at their point of need. The Bible is full of these kind of accounts, and so today we want to continue with that, Jesus meeting people at their point of need. Now Lent refers to the 40 days preceding Easter. It's a time when many Christians reflect on our own points of need, our personal needs, our collective needs as a community, as a country, as humanity. And what we often realize is that there are places where our lives are running on empty, that you and I are running on empty. So my prayer for this series would be that we would encounter Jesus, whether for the first time or in a new way, we would encounter Jesus in our needs and in our emptiness, And thus we would be able to help other people, even in their needs, even in their emptiness, to encounter Jesus. So this morning I'm going to just start off with a deep end question. We're not going to, we're going to dispense with pleasantries and go right to it, all right? Not very southern, I know. Here it is. What's been a really difficult part of your life over the past few years? Again, just jumping right in. What's been a really difficult part of your life over the past few years? A place in life where you feel like you've hit your limits? A place where you have realized that you cannot be and do all that you need to be and do? Or maybe it's a place where uh, it's a place of dysfunction that the rest of your life is contorted around. What's been a really hard place in life for you? Next question. What would happen if Jesus Christ started to significantly change that area of your life? What would happen if Jesus Christ started to significantly change that area of your life? What if Jesus started to transform that area of life in a good way? What if He started to bring some healing into it? What if He brought some redemption into it? What if He started to redeem that entire area of life? What would you do? Initially, our response is something like, I would love it. That would be great. And the answer, it turns out, is a little more complicated than that. Because in John chapter 5, Jesus asked a man a very pointed question. We're being very pointed in the intro today. Jesus asked a man a very pointed question. He asked him, do you want to get well? The the point here being that Jesus has all kinds of power, that Jesus can bring healing into the hurting and broken places in our life. Jesus has all this ability, and yet Jesus is also pointing out that there is part of us, maybe even a large part of us, that does not want his healing. So what we're gonna do this morning is explore this further by looking at the passage that Georgia read for us earlier. Uh, the story of the demon-possessed man meeting Jesus in Mark chapter 5. So what we're going to do, this is kind of the outline, we're going to walk through that passage, and we're going to walk through that passage in such a way that at the end, we can compare the demon-possessed man to the townspeople, and then we will compare the demon-possessed man to Jesus' disciples. All right? That's what we're going to do. Hopefully, we will make it out in time to beat the Methodists to Denny's. Verse 1, we begin. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, one thing you will learn as a pastor is that if you pronounce biblical words with confidence, people think you know how to pronounce them. So to save myself the embarrassment of pronouncing this region differently every time it comes up, I'm going to simply call it G-Town. So Jesus and his disciples get in a boat. And they go to G-Town. And when they get to G-Town, they have a man who runs out to meet Jesus. What do we know about this man? The chief thing we know about him is that he is possessed by a demon. And because of this, verse 4, he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Gracious. Now, when I lived in uptown Charlotte, I lived in a condo that overlooked a historic cemetery, and there were jogging trails through this historic cemetery. Can I tell you what I never did? (laughs) Because I just don't think that's where I don't want to spend my leisure time in a cemetery. Though when I tried to sell the place, I said, overlooks beautiful stone formations. But that's a different story than this guy. That's where this guy lives. This guy lives out in the tombs. He spends his time out among the dead. He would run around with no clothes on. He would scream and shriek and cut himself with rocks. The local people had gotten tired of all this, so they chained him up, likely out there in those tombs, and he had broken those chains. So verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Don't you imagine over the years that this man had learned that if you run at people, they will run away? And so he starts running at Jesus, and Jesus stands firm. Jesus does not run away. And so this demon-possessed man who's lived out in the tombs and he has shackles on his wrists, he falls on his knees at Jesus' feet. For all of his troubles, and they are many, he is finally where he needs to be, at the feet of Jesus. I love this image of Jesus, because I don't know about you, but if I went to a place where I had never been, and I saw a person with no clothes on running at me with a sharp rock, I would not stand there. I don't know that I would even have gone there in the first place. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus stands firm when the man starts running. And this is something different about Jesus. That Jesus is not scared of the hard places in our lives. Jesus is not scared of the hard places. In fact, He walks right into them. And then He stands firm when it starts to get real. So Jesus is not scared of the hard places in my life. He's not scared of the hard places in your life. He's not scared of the hard places in any person's life. He's not afraid of the dark places in our lives. He's not frightened by the dysfunction that you and I now call standard operating procedure. Jesus walks right into the midst of what's not going very well so that we can fall at His feet. So that you and I can get to the place where we finally need to be, which is at the feet of Jesus. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? That's so humanizing. That Jesus in a moment snaps his attention, snaps our attention back to reality. That the man in the tombs is not a monster, the man in the tombs is a man. He is a human being deeply loved by God. He responds, My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now let's unpack this because we're about to get somewhere. The man says his name is Legion because there have been a bunch of demons that have possessed him over the years. And then it comes this very fascinating part. He begs Jesus repeatedly not to send them out of the area. Who is them? This is an important question to ask because you've probably had this situation arise where someone will come up to you and say, "I was talking to them and they are not happy." That's a great time to ask the question. Well, who is them? Who is they? because as you probably know, nine times out of ten, it's the person sharing the comment plus one other person. So, it's always a good question to ask, who is them? Who is they? He begged Jesus not to send them out of the area. Who is they? They refers to the demons. And so the man who calls himself legion does not want Jesus to send the demons away. This is the point at which you scratch your head and say, what? He's worried about what he will have left if the demons get sent away. What would you have, legion? Well, for starters, you wouldn't have to run around screaming, you wouldn't get chained up by the townspeople, your life wouldn't be controlled by demonic forces, you could have a whole new life, you could have a better life. But his initial reaction to demon possession is that's all he's known. And so that question echoes in my mind, do you want to get well? A man whose life is being destroyed by demons begs Jesus not to get rid of the demons. What's the equivalent for you? A person being destroyed by pride begs Jesus to boost his or her ego. A person who's being destroyed by an addiction asks Jesus for any solution other than recovery. A person being destroyed by their rebellion against God begs Jesus to stay out of their life. Do we truly want to get well? What would happen if Jesus started to bring healing and transformation and redemption into some of these hard places in our lives? Will we hold on to what we know, no matter how destructive it is becoming? The story continues. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. So the pigs acknowledge, uh, sorry again, the demons acknowledge Jesus' authority. They say, we see some pigs over there, let us go into the pigs. Jesus says, sure. The pigs all run off a cliff and drown in a lake. And I just imagine being a person fishing in that lake. Kind of watching this whole thing play out. And just thinking, this is the craziest day in G Town ever. It continues. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the country, the in the town and countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. So the people of town are amazed, and the people of town are afraid. They realize they're standing in the presence of someone who can change lives. They never thought they'd see anything like this. Because what has one of the major problems in G-Town been? Well, it's been this man. I mean, it is hard to maintain a quality of life in your community when there's someone who routinely runs around threatening people. And so they had done all they could to manage this issue, to contain this issue. They had chained him up, but he broke out of those chains. They were running out of options. And then here comes Jesus. And Jesus brings real healing into this situation. Jesus sets this man's life in a new direction. His biggest issue and G-Town's biggest issue got solved in the same moment. You would think the mayor of G-Town would come out now and declare, it is Jesus Appreciation Day. And here's a key to the city, Jesus. Is that what happened? Verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. what? Jesus just brought healing into the situation of that region. Now, it did get a little messy when all the pigs ran off the cliff. Jesus' solution was messier than the town people's containment strategy. It was also a better long-term solution for them. This account is starting to uncover something about human nature. That though Jesus' solution was better long-term and far more life-giving, it was messier. And so the townspeople, what did they ask Jesus to do? They asked Him to leave. This is uncovering something about our willingness as human beings to hold on tightly to bad predicaments and severe dysfunction. Because at least it's a dysfunction we know. We adjust our pain threshold so that what is painful feels comfortable, and what would bring healing feels painful. That's my summary of what's happened in the Gerasenes. What was painful had become comfortable, and what would bring healing felt painful. Now, I suppose I could make fun of them for doing this, except that I do the same thing. I imagine you do the same thing. And that's why we started with that question. What would happen if Jesus started to really bring healing and transformation into the hard places in our lives? What would our reaction be? And the answer is a little trickier than we might have first thought because a lot of us have become comfortable with what is truly painful and see what would be truly transformative as being painful. but there is hope. There is hope. There is boundless hope. And we start to see it towards the end of this account. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which is his region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is a beautiful picture of redemption. And so to see it, I now want to contrast this formerly demon-possessed man with the townspeople. Though both initially resist Jesus' healing work, the man in the tombs winds up receiving it, while the townspeople reject it. He decides to live for Jesus while the townspeople tell Jesus to leave. So they had both had some initial resistance to what Jesus was trying to do. He said, please don't send the demons away. And the people in town were like, you need to leave. We liked our crazy life a lot better. Though they had both initially resisted it, he circled back on that and said, you know what, that's not how I want to do this. And so he decided to receive what Christ was doing and then to live for Jesus Now, it's Jesus who's doing all the work. Jesus is doing the transformation that you and I cannot do ourselves. We need that transformation to come from Jesus. But the decision we face is this. Do we want to reject the healing work that Jesus is doing, or do we want to accept the healing work that Jesus is doing? In other words, do we want Jesus in or do we want Jesus out? As you think about what you face in life or some of the harder places in life, do you want Jesus in or do you want Jesus out? Think carefully about how you answer that question. Because if Jesus gets in, it might get a little messy. The containment strategy, the maintain the status quo strategy that you and I have worked so hard to to create may go out the window because Jesus will be in control, and so things might get messy. Things might also get transformed, but they might get messy. This leads to me wanting to compare the formerly demon-possessed man with Jesus' original disciples, his official disciples. And you might say, well, Michael, Jesus' official disciples are nowhere in this account. And I would say it appeared that way to me at first, too. But look at how the passage begins. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, I will repeat: They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, we are back to this age-old question: Who is they? And when you read the preceding verses, what you'll figure out is they refers to Jesus and his original disciples. So, the disciples are in the story, and unless Mark got sloppy with his pronouns, where are they? They're in the boat. They saw this guy running around without any clothes on with that sharp uh, rock, and they said, no, thank you. So, Jesus got out of the boat, and they stayed in the boat, I guess ready to paddle off in case the dude got too close and leave Jesus there in G-Town, because they're sitting there thinking, we're only five chapters into this thing. We don't have a lot of sunk cost in this Jesus thing yet. We'll just leave him in G-Town. He can solve this, and we're going home. And so then at the end of the encounter, what does the formerly demon-possessed man want to do? He wants to get in the boat. And what does Jesus say? No, don't get in this boat. You cannot get in this boat. I don't need anybody else in this boat. (laughs) I'm trying to get the people in this boat out of this boat. So Jesus tells the man, go tell people what God has done for you. And that's exactly what the man does. So here's the comparison. The man in the tomb spreads the message of how much the Lord has done for him. That's Jesus' exact quote. He spreads the message of how much the Lord has done for him. The disciples stay in the boat. This is the difference between spreading and containing. This is the difference between people who see life following Jesus as about spreading. Spreading His love, spreading His joy, spreading His peace into the world around us, being willing to say how good the Lord has been to us. Versus those who see the Christian life as primarily about containment. Get into a boat and look out at a world that seems dangerous and say, well, thank goodness I'm in this boat. Jesus says at the end of the passage, I don't need more of my followers in this boat. I need more of my followers out in the world spreading the message that no one is too far from God. You're not too far from God. And and I'm living proof that Jesus Christ can transform any life, no matter how messed up it has become. This is redemption. This is the kind of redemption that Jesus offers. This is how Jesus redeems, that Jesus redeems us by transforming our lives, even the tough situations. Jesus transforms our lives, even the tough situations, and then He makes us messengers to tell others what He has done and is doing in our lives. And it says that the people, when they heard this this man who had lived in the tombs, when they heard what he said, they were amazed. Probably because they had enough backstory on him. And they said, "Uh, we don't know much else about this uh, fellow who got out of the boat. But clearly it made a difference in your life. The point being, you don't have to be invincible. You don't have to know everything about the Bible to do this. Jesus told the man to go and share what the Lord had done for him. Didn't ask him to be invincible. Did not ask him to know everything about the Bible. Because there is something refreshing when a person can say with vulnerability, my life's not perfect. It's not even close. But I'm moving in a new direction. I'm moving in a good direction. I'm moving in the right direction. And it's following Jesus that has made the difference. So I take this little passage about this man in the tombs as Jesus breaking out of two containment strategies. One, the hard places in our life that we would rather contain than actually have healing brought into them. And then number two, that life following Jesus is is about spreading and breaking out than just containing and being held in this little boat. Oh, it's a nice little boat, though. And if that dude started running at me, I could paddle away. So here's my wrap-up question for you. As you think about a tough situation in your life, what could Jesus' redemption look like? Remember what we said about what Jesus' redemption looks like. Jesus redeems us by transforming our lives, even the tough situations, and then making us a messenger to go and tell others what He has done and is doing in our lives. As you think about a tough situation in your life, what could Jesus' redemption look like? And what could you learn from the example of the man in the tombs? Because as you read this story, this is sort of the interesting thing to me, who's like the capital H hero of the story? Well, Jesus. Safe answer at church. Jesus is the capital H hero of the story. He does the work that nobody else can do. But who's kind of like the second-tier hero, the, lower h, the lowercase h hero of the story? It's the guy in the tombs. Now, here's somebody who did not have a Ph.D., who likely didn't even have access to the Bible, and yet he is remembered as a hero in following Jesus. My point being, you're not a lost cause. You may just be a hero in waiting. Your situation is not a lost cause. It may be a redemption story in the making. The difference in all of this is getting to the feet of Jesus. His troubles, though they were many, began to take on a new light when he got to the feet of Jesus. Your troubles, though they are many, may begin to take on a new light when you get to the feet of Jesus. It might get messy. It might get very messy. There may be moments you look up and say, that's it, I want Jesus out. That's a more natural response than you might have realized you were going to hear in church today. But I'd say stay in it. Stay in it. Look to this man in the tombs and what he teaches us, which is even when Jesus starts to do the transformation and it gets a little bit messy, stay in it. It may be a redemption story in the making. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk with God about whatever it is He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. I don't know where all of this intersects with your life, but wherever it does, just talk to God about it. Lord, the question they had to ask in the garrisons is the same question we have to ask ourselves. Do we want Jesus in or out? As we think about the situations that we face, the tough things in front of us, maybe as some of us even just think about our lives in general, do we want Jesus in or do we want Jesus out? One of the hard parts of that, of course, Lord, is that sometimes we just feel unworthy to even be around you. We see the chains dangling off our arms and we think, maybe if I just run at him, he'll run away. This account from Scripture is a beautiful reminder that we can come to you in the words of that old hymn, just as we are. The old hymn says, and maybe these words should be our prayer, just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict and many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, I come to you. And just as I am, you will receive and will welcome, pardon, cleanse, and relieve. Because your promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, I come to you. I pray we would do that. I pray we would come to you, Christ. And we would lay parts of our lives at your feet. Maybe we, for some of us, we need to just lay our entire life at your feet. And say, I cannot do this on my own anymore. I need you to take control. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's worship God with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.